turn to Daniel chapter 12. Believe it or not, can you believe it? This is the end of our series in Daniel. I, 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 there was an audible groan, Josh. I heard that. Did you hear it? And I did, I did too. This has been an awesome series. Hope in Exile. And, and I just started thinking this week about all the things that we've talked about and learned as a part of this series, what Daniel has taught us, what it means to be in exile in a, in a spiritually hostile place, what it means to, to not just survive spiritually where God has placed us, but instead to, to thrive, what it means to be disciplined by the love of God, that God loves his people so much that he brings hardships, exiles into our lives, to, to change our hearts, to make us more like him. I don't know what has stood out to you about this series, but if I personally had to pick one thing that has stood out to me that God has impressed upon me through our study through the book of Daniel, and here it is. It's how big and how in control God is and how small and how not in control I am. Whole kingdoms and leaders are dispatched and raised up in mere paragraphs and sentences in the book of Daniel. Did you notice that? If the history of America was found in the book of Daniel, it would be a footnote. It might get one verse, the Jesus wept verse, okay? A very short verse, right? See, Daniel is kind of like smelling salts to what you've heard me refer to before as our sort of our Ron Burgundy anchorman theology, okay? See, we think we're kind of a big deal. We've got a lot going for us. We have resources and technology, and we get to, we're free to choose this way and that way and organize our lives such and such and buy this house and go to this place. And God simply reminds us, I've got the whole world in my hand. I've got control over the biggest events and the most minute of details of human history. And in fact, if you want Daniel in a nutshell, we could have just said this right off and not preached through Daniel, right? No, we, we, we needed to get this, okay? Here it is. In spite of present circumstances, in spite of whatever confronts you in your life, what confronts our nation, what confronts the church, what confronts God's people, in spite of present circumstances, God is in control and, more importantly, will win the day. That's Daniel. So my prayer as we leave this series is that we would be rooted once more this morning in that truth. Brooks, I'll be honest, we, we need that truth. I, I need that truth. My family needs that truth. If, if I don't have that truth, if you don't have that truth, then we are spiritually impotent people. We will spiritually stagger through life. We will waste our lives. We will flit it away, finding, looking for hope in things that cannot provide hope. I, though, want to be encouraged. I want to be emboldened. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be emboldened. Not naive, not naive, but hopeful. Not hopeful because of the circumstances around you, but hopeful because of God. And so I think Daniel 12 is going to put an exclamation on that point for us. So just a little bit of context as we dive into the, to the text. Remember, chapters 10, 11, and 12 are one unit. And we opened chapter 10 a few weeks ago with Daniel is in mourning. 
He is crying. He is seeking out to God. He hasn't eaten for days. Um, He hasn't taken care of his basic hygiene. He's in despair because he's seeking God. He's asking God, God, what is going on? You promised to return your people from exile after 70 years. and, And while they're returning, this is not going as planned. There is opposition and hardship and difficulty and trial. And he, Daniel is calling out to God by the river, the Tigris River, and it says that God sends two messengers to Daniel to give him a vision of comfort and encouragement. Now, it's a disturbing vision, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna see the tail end of it today. But it's meant to give Daniel hope. I want you to think about this. Daniel was 90 years old, probably, or older at this, at this juncture, probably getting ready to die. Why in the world would God show up to give Daniel that word when Daniel's not even going to be on the scene much longer? This, this, is, this, is, this is so cool. God showed up to give Daniel that word so that you and I could be here, right here, 2,500 years later, receiving the fruit of the word of God. Because that's pretty amazing. And so I'm thankful that God appeared to Daniel this one last time. I'm thankful for this concluding part of the vision. I'm thankful for the interpretation that Daniel's going to provide us. Let it encourage us this morning. So Daniel 12, it's a shorter chapter. Read the whole thing, we'll pray and dive in. Now at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt." And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all of these things would be finished." I heard, but I did not understand. Be encouraged. (laughs) Then I said, this is Daniel speaking, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? What's going to happen, God? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, 
and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let's pray. Lord, you've given us a promise here, and now we're asking for eyes of faith to grab hold of it and to believe it, that you are going to give us rest. That when the dust settles at the end of the age, you will have given us a place to stand before you. Lord, that is the most amazing piece of news that anyone could ever grab hold of. Lord, for some of us, it seems very distant this morning. The the season of Christmas, of Advent, brings all sorts of heartache and pain and yearning and longing. And we are tempted to believe that this is not true. But Lord, preach it to our hearts. Lord, use my words. Let my words be the conduit through which you encourage the people of God today. But ultimately, they're not my words, Lord. They're they're your words. They're your words. So build us up with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Daniel has a pastoral concern and a foundational truth in this passage. Okay, and here's the foundational, I'm sorry, here's the pastoral concern. Will the people of God endure when evil does its worst? That's Daniel's concern. Will you endure when the bottom drops out of your life? When all hope appears lost from a humanly perspective? Now, the truth or the foundation of that call to perseverance is this. It's very similar to what we said before. The sovereign God has appointed a time to bring all things to an end. It seems indefinite today. It seems like it's never going to happen. For, for the kids who are eagerly awaiting Christmas morning, it seems years and years away. It's only three weeks. You better get ready, parents. Okay, get, get moving, right? Okay. But it's not. God will bring it to an end. He will deliver his people. And there's two points I think Daniel wants us to get a hold of this morning, and they're, and they're these. There's an unparalleled distress that we have to come to terms with. There's some, there's some things about this life that we have to acknowledge and not be in denial about. And it's going to seem like a pretty grim Advent sermon. Can I just get for the first part? But then there is this ultimate deliverance. So you have to go through the bad news to get the good news. If you don't preach the bad news, the good news will just be advice or chicken soup for the Christian soul, or something along those lines, something sentimental. No, no, no. We need the meat, the truth of God's word. So unparalleled distress, ultimate deliverance. Unparalleled distress. Look at verse 1. It says, at that time. Now, what time is Daniel referring to? If you go back to chapter 11, verse 40, when it seems obvious that the angel is describing what will happen at the time at the end, it seems, and most commentators will agree, that, that what the messenger is describing here to Daniel is, in fact, the end of human history. He says, when anybody tells you about the end of human history, just perk up and listen. This is probably pretty important. And the angel says, there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been. And now, and now the, the sense of that, the word there, is not just extremity. In other words, it'll be extremely bad, although it will. The word really means unique, unparalleled, never seen before. There is going to be a violent 
end to human history. There is going to be a massive upheaval of life and limb, something that we have never seen before. And that's saying something. When you consider what the 20 and 21st centuries have wrought us, when, 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 when I'm going online this morning and just reminding myself how many people have died, how many, how, how many human tragedies there's been in the last 125 years, 17 million people alone died in World War I, alone, and it wasn't even the greatest human tragedy. There's countless others that can rival it. So to say that this end of the ages is going to be something we've never seen before, that is saying quite a lot. Specifically, look at verse 11. The angel says there is going to be an abomination. Now, it doesn't tell us the nature of that abomination, whether it's a man, a a group of people, a nation. We think it's probably a man. I'll get to that in just a second. And this abomination is going to wreak havoc and desolation on the church. It says the worship of God's people will be taken away. God's people will be defiled. Now, this abomination of desolation has been mentioned in a number of other places in Scripture. Okay, Revelation talks about it. Daniel talks about it. And it's in its original context, okay, when Daniel is writing, it most probably referred to this wicked king, uh, Antiochus, who in the first century B.C., conquering Jerusalem, goes in and offers up a blood sacrifice of pigs on the altar, defiles the altar of God, killing priests left and right, barring the people of God for coming to worship. Now that's bad. But remember, Jesus quotes this passage in Matthew 24, 15, and he just says, you know what? All of that is just a precursor of what is to come. See, there's going to be another abomination that will rise up against the people of God. Paul in 2 Thessalonians calls this person the man of lawlessness. John calls this person the anti-Christ. Now, when you and I hear language like that, what are the first two questions probably or alarms that sort of go off in your head? What are your first and second questions? What are they? Who, right? Be honest, okay? Who and when? (laughs) Who is this? And goodness gracious, when is this going to happen? And by the way, that's what drives most contemporary study of prophecy. Um, it's, it's, It's what oftentimes the whole prophetic industry is built upon. Who, when, how's it gonna happen? Who's it going to be? Is the Antichrist alive and walking around today? Is the Antichrist in this room this morning? Is he, Josh? Most likely not. Okay, but anyway, nonetheless, we're we're, we're consumed by these these sorts of questions. But what's interesting, and because probably say this, to be fair, look at verse 8. What does Daniel ask? What does Daniel ask? Uh, Tell me more. (laughs) Okay, so, so, so let's be human, okay? Let's be human. Of course, we're going to ask questions like that. Daniel asked questions like that. But the way the angel responds tells us how we should think about these things. See, knowing that the abomination of desolation is coming, knowing that there is the Antichrist coming, but knowing also that every age, 
Okay, every age has the spirit of Antichrist in it. The question is, what does that mean for us? What should we do? How should we live in light of that? Some will tell you it's time to, to find one of those 1960s nuclear bomb shelters, right? Okay. T- time to buy your, your, your food rations from Glenn Beck. Okay. It's time to like hunker down okay, and get ready for the apocalypse. Listen to what the angel tells Daniel. It's not about who. It's not about when. It's about what. What should you do, Daniel? And I hate to, to burst your, your bubble. <laughs> Verse 9, he says, Daniel, go your way. Verse 12, he tells him again, Daniel, go your way till the end. In other words, don't speculate, Daniel. If I wanted you to have more details, I would have told you. That's not why I'm telling you these things. Four Oaks, this is not why God is telling us these things so we can spend our time in endless speculation on prophetic charts. He's telling us this, Four Oaks. He's telling Daniel this so that Daniel will go to work. That Daniel will get to it. That you and I would see the urgency of this life. That all of human history is barreling down the corridor to this culmination at the end of the ages when God is going to come and set everything right. God, in essence, is saying, Daniel, I've got the future covered. But for now, live today in light of that day. For Oaks, if you do an audit of your life, I do an audit of my life, how much of it would I say is characterized by urgency, confidence, courage, a sobriety? See, that's what the angel is telling Daniel. That's what the angel is telling us. In light of that day, for Oaks, how important this day is. And do you know what I think can hinder us, church? Do you know what I, can, what I think kind of can hinder our spiritual productivity, our urgency um, in, 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 sort of, in sort of the context that we live? Oftentimes, and I find this is true for myself, we are looking for deliverance and hope in a way from this life that this life was never intended to provide. See, we're, we're looking for deliverance. But we're looking in a way and in places that this life was never intended to give us. Susan and I, along with the rest of America, have been so hopelessly sucked into the Tuesday night drama, This Is Us. Anybody seen this? Okay. Josh's favorite show. All right, he recommended it to me. And, and This Is Us, it's a compelling story about three people, seemingly random, who have the same birthday. And as the series unfolds, it begins to weave the lives of all these characters together. And it, and it kind of shows their present and the lives they're living and how they're connected and it, with these flashbacks showing, about, showing how they got there and why they do what they do. It's, it's pretty compelling drama. But in the story, there is, an, there is an African-American successful businessman who doesn't know his biological fatty, dad. He's been, he's been adopted by these parents. He's never met his dad, but finally, after 36 years, he tracks his dad down, and he finds him, and he begins to develop a relationship with him, and what he discovers in getting to know him 
is that his biological father has terminal cancer. He only has a very, very short time to live. And there's this poignant scene. Of course, they show this right at Thanksgiving to make you cry, okay? Not me, but others out there, okay? Where there's a, there's a girl who asks them kind of in a snarky way, tell me, how does it feel to be dying? And here's what he says. It feels like all these beautiful pieces of life are flying around me, and I'm trying to catch them, but it's getting harder and harder. You know, he, he puts his finger on something. When, when you know, I, I was out in the garage, you know, going through Christmas decorations by myself, that is a big mistake, don't do that, Okay. I was just an emotional mess by the time I came out of the garage. And he's like, what is going on out there? I was watching the Tennessee game. No, no. And I was, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm parceling through all these, all these things and all these memories. And just time is slipping away and memories are sleeping, slipping away. And that tells me something right there that's going on in my heart. And that's, that's human. That's natural. But, but our hearts are restless. Our souls long for deliverance. Our souls long for something whole to freeze time, to keep those special memories, those special places, those special people. And when this life doesn't deliver that, and by the way, it never delivers that. When this life doesn't deliver that, then we have all sorts of things that afflict our souls, right? Addictions and hopelessness and affairs and restlessness See, the human soul is hardwired to look for deliverance, but it can't be found here. That's what Daniel teaches us over and over. Now, don't get me wrong. Let me say something. All good things come from above. And in Daniel, we do see God can and does deliver for a time in this life, right? Okay, I mean, God's grace and blessing. We see it in our lives. Daniel is delivered from the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego plucked out of the furnace. God's people returned from exile. Some of you have had healings from cancer, reconciled marriages. The prodigal has run home for you, and we give praise to God. We don't denigrate those things. We uphold those things. They all come from God's good hand. They point us to eternity. Yet we have to be reminded that Daniel died. I'll say it one more time. Last time I'll say this in the series. He died a eunuch, homeless. No family in a foreign land. Israel came back from captivity and exile only to be imprisoned by the next bully on the block. Some of us are healed today, but we die in car accidents tomorrow. See, we, folks, we need a sturdier hope than what this life offers us. You see, our, our souls, my soul, your soul, is craving ultimate deliverance. And how you answer that question of where that deliverance is found is a matter of life and death. And I don't mean to be, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Your spiritual life and death is at stake. Let's look at ultimate deliverance, last point. Where is it found? Verse 1 and 2. It says, but at that time, now remember, this is speaking of the future, your people will be delivered. How, we ask, how will that happen? This is really important. How will they be delivered? 
It's not by someone showing up and paying off your student loans. Lord, would that be awesome, right? Okay. It says, many who are asleep will awake and rise from the dust. Now, what's he talking about there? We, we know that he's talking about the resurrection. That time one day when Jesus will return in bodily form, we celebrate the first advent here, the coming of Christ. We look forward to the second. Without the second, we are hopeless. That Jesus will come. He will set everything right. The dead will arise. We will be, our souls will be united to our new bodies. It will be a new era, a new, a new age. But let's, there's something interesting that we ought not to blow past in this verse. Here's what's crystal clear. Folks, we need to be reminded that everyone will be resurrected, not just Christians. Not just Christians, every soul that has ever lived. Your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your distant relative who you have awkward conversations at Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner, all their soul will be raised. And, 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 and Daniel makes this crystal clear. It's the most crystal clear passage in the whole New Testament about the, about the afterlife, and here's what it says. Some will be raised to everlasting life. Some to everlasting contempt. There, there are only two trajectories for every human soul that has ever lived. That's a part of the family of God or not a part of the family of God. And, and the language, not Adventy language, shame and contempt, it, really, it literally means some will be raised to everlasting abhorrence. They will be objects of disdain. That will be a terrible day for some. Verse 4 says, many shall run to and fro and knowledge will increase. What, what, what is he saying there? Literally in the Hebrew, this is what it says. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge, but they won't be able to find it. I think it's an allusion to Amos 8. We'll flash it up here. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing a famine, listen to this, a famine for hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Verse 10 says, in that day, those who have not trusted in Jesus, they will not understand. They will look, but they will not find do you ever have a dream or a nightmare that's recurring, okay, that you wouldn't mind sharing in public, okay? Do you, do you have one of those, okay? You know, maybe you're lost or you're looking for someone or you're trying to fa- find the way out of a maze or you're in the, in, the, in the Cormac McCarthy, you know, post-apocalyptic world and you're surviving on the main streets, okay? For me, and I, if, as I'm saying this, if I'm the only neurotic one here, okay, please forgive me, okay? <laughs> My recurring nightmare is that it's the end of the semester in college and I have skipped all my classes and I have missed all of my tests and I am ready to be flunked out and fail. And then I realize, oh, this is what happened in my freshman year. But nonetheless, anyway, so, so I, I'm, I'm, all this is, is going on and, and, I'm, and I feel this sense of I'm lost, I can't fix this, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And I wake up, and I'm, and I'm so relieved, okay? You, 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 everybody has one of those neurotic things, right? Okay. 
the day of judgment is going to be something you can never awake from. For God's people, it will be the most glorious thing. It'll be the, like the last scene in the, in the last battle. Oh, Aslan, we're so afraid of you sending us home. This is so awesome right now. I'm so afraid you're going to send us home. Haven't you, haven't you realized, child? There's no more goodbyes. You don't have to wake up. But for those who were caught in the crossfire of God's judgment, it will be a nightmare upon which they can never awake. Now, you may say, Pastor Paul, <laughs> where is the good news here? Where is the good news? Look at verse 3. Verse 1. For folks, that knowledge that everyone is going to be raised, it should be, it should be a call. It should, it should instill our life with urgency, our parenting, our marriages, sharing the gospel, bringing friends to church. It should totally compel that. Okay? that that's how we should be animated and energized because of this truth. But I, I, see how this is a, I want you to see how this is a comfort for your soul. You see, this is not just a judgment against God's enemies. It is that. But it's a judgment for you. It's a judgment for the people of God. See, verse 1 says there's going to be a rescue. Michael, the commander of God's armies, the the archangel is going to be fighting on your behalf. It says in that day, the righteous will shine forth like stars. In verse 10, one day you and I will rise purified, cleansed. And let me tell you why that's possible. If there is no hell, if there is no justice, there is no victory for God's people. You see, all of the enemies of God's people, now I want you to think about this. In your soul today, you're probably carrying with you some sort of enemy that's afflicting you. Adultery, pornography, disease, Betrayal, persecution, mental illness, anxieties. Every enemy of your soul, the text says, is gone. Because God has fought for you. And God is fighting for you. And So the the, the most important question that you can leave the book of Daniel with is simply this. Do you belong to the family of God. See, sitting in a, in, a, in a chair, I was going to say pew, but we know better, but sitting in a chair doesn't make you a part of the family. You could be attending Four Oaks Church, but not be a part of the family of God. Do you belong to the family of God? Look at verse 1. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Who's going to be delivered? No more important question for you to wrestle with. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. See, Daniel seems to be saying there's a citizen list in heaven. And names are written in this book. And Revelation 13 tells us the name of this book. What is the name of this book? It is the book of life of the lamb that was slain. It's the book of Jesus. Jesus carries a photo album a registry, so to speak. It says, these are my people. 
These are the people that I've died for. These are the people that have entrusted themselves to me, who are walking in faith with me, have confessed their sins to me, have repented of their sins to me. The book of Daniel is pressing us forward. And here's, I've said this over and over. Daniel, if it is nothing else, if not a book about the Gospels, about Jesus. You see, Israel was on the search for a king, anyone to fix this mess. This Advent season, you're probably on the search for a king, something to fix the mess in your life. And continually, we are pressed forward to find that the true king is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11 and 12, and we're going to wrap it up here. At the end of that day, it says, we, no, it's interesting juxtaposition here, we shall rest and we shall stand. That seems kind of odd way to, to talk about that. How do you rest and stand at the same time? Your soul is given rest in that day through Christ. And God has given you a firm place to stand before him. Your soul is at rest in the very presence of God. And it says that, that we are going to endure 1,335 days. And we're like, what in the world is that? Thank you, Daniel, for throwing that in here right at the end, okay? Things very, not simple, but here's what I think is going on. God says the people of God will suffer for 1,290 days. They will. Which I think is symbolic of all the suffering that happens between Christ's first ascension into heaven and then Christ's return. And I think 1290 is significant because he's saying it's definite, it's predetermined, it will not go on longer than a second than I've ordained that it would happen. My people will suffer, but only for so long. Because my people are the 1335 people. See, the significance of 1335 is that it's longer than 1290. See, it's significant because God carries his people to the end through all of this mess and gives them rest in their souls. You say, Pastor Paul, how do we know this is true? Look at verse 7. It says, the angel raises both hands. Do you, do you want to know where? This idea of raising your hand in court and taking an oath and placing your hand on the Bible comes from? It comes from Deuteronomy 32, 40, where it says that when God makes a covenant with his people, what does he do? He raises his hand. See, the fact that the angel is raising two hands and that the book is being sealed like a last will and testament not to be read until the end of the age in no uncertain terms for oaks god says this you can trust me because you can trust my word do not attempt to separate god from god's word do not try to locate god or jesus outside of all of god's word if you don't know god's word you don't know god if you want to know God, you know God's word. When Daniel was struggling and having an existential crisis of faith, where did he turn? Remember, do you remember this? He turned to where? Jeremiah. The words of the prophet of God. Folks, if you're sold out today, if you, if you struggle with having a heart of faith, 
if things seem hopeless. God says, come and meet me and know me through my word because my word is true and I'm coming back and I'm in control of all of human history and I have a day of redemption planned for you. You're suffering right now. It seems like such a little time, but here's what Paul says. It's a light and momentary affliction because God is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. This is all we got, and this is all we need. 